Coming to you live, raw, and uncensored from Studio 107, welcome to the SOL Podcast. Wake up, America, with your host, Drew Baker, Shake and Bake. We're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House! Matt Dixon, the Iron Man. When you're going through hell, keep going. And Kelsey Lee, (laughs) Special K. I'm an extremely stable genius. A podcast dedicated to protecting your rights by exploring the law, politics, and current events. You have the right to remain silent and listen, or call in and become a part of the show. And now, here's your host, Shake and Bake. Got to throw that in there. Welcome to the SOL podcast. This is a big day at Studio 107. A big day because it is our last episode from the Studio 107. A little sad. Would everybody agree? Well, bittersweet, yeah. I'm excited about the new place, but... I am too. Do you like our roots? Yep. This is where it all started. So I am your host, The Shake and Bake. I'm joined, as always, by The Iron Man. How you doing today, Iron Man? Uh, Just like everybody else. Very sad and somber about our last episode, but... Very happy to think about all the things we've accomplished here, and yeah, certainly excited for the new uh, the new studio. As of uh, last look, there's been over 3,500 downloads of the SOL podcast, which I remember when we would get excited that we had like 10, right? And that was pretty cool. That was but, awesome. Uh, it continues, and that's because of everybody out there that chooses to subscribe and listen, and we very much appreciate that. And we do have some exciting news, but before we get there. Let's introduce the Special K. She's joining us here today. How are you doing, Special K? I'm doing great today. Excellent. Feeling good. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit quickly about our new setup and kind of a timeline of when we think we'll be joining you from a place that has the number 89. I originally called it 86. Then I went to 88 and apparently it's 89 Nationwide Boulevard. Is that right? That's right. That's okay. right. That's going to be our new office location starting next week. And we're moving our studios into the new office as well. Yeah. So the new studio is very exciting. We've got uh, certainly a better setup, I think, for all of our camera work and larger area production room. So be ready for an even better production because we're always striving to improve. But uh, definitely very excited about that. And I think we've got uh, good things to come for sure. We're going to need a green room too. Yes, I think we're going to put that together. Plenty of space for it, and we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to separate all the colors of the Skittles and M and M's for Special K. She's extremely needy. I'll put on my rider. That's right. I will need a dressing room for myself too. Well, we're also going to have a little merch area where when people come in, they can buy a SOL podcast hat or a shirt. Is there an area where I can do meet and greets and sign autographs for my fans? I think so. what are we going to do with the shirts that say Studio 107? Are they going into the archives? I think those will be a premium. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. Premium. I Vintage. Agree. Yes. Vintage, For I believe. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, tell me about today's show. We're going to end this on something that we hope is helpful for everybody, a little more legally oriented, if you will. But nonetheless, it's time to talk about some things that hopefully will help you out if you find yourself in some sort of an injury case. And I'm not sure that... This is just limited to injury cases. I think some of these could probably span the spectrum of different types of cases. Would you agree? I would. I would for sure. These are, this is, these are just great tips and advice 
for anybody. Felt a little bit of word salad there. Wow. In my mouth. Are you going to work together with me on that? <laughs> together? Oh, yes. Together. I just want to get you to where you want to go so that you can go where you need to be to go to get there. Is that, I wonder if it was me that was causing the word salad. I don't know. That was weird. I don't know, but certainly these, all these items could apply to different types of cases. But as we focus primarily on personal injury cases, we've come up with five ways to ruin your personal injury case before hiring an attorney. Yeah. You don't want to have that laugh going on by the insurance company. That means they gotcha. Certainly not. No. So five ways to ruin your case, especially a personal injury case before you retain an attorney. Always good idea to get an attorney. There's a lot of complicated things that go on behind the scenes with this type of case. Liens, something that most people don't. Subrogation. Subrogation, big words like that. Of course, you got to fight on the front end to get as much compensation as you deserve. But then on the back end, it's just as much of a fight to keep people's hands out of the cookie jar. That's right. And those things do make a big difference in any case. Uh, as far as what is the total net value of the case to you down the road. And let's, you know, let's make sure everybody understands there are well more than five ways to ruin your case. Yeah, we've limited are, it to five yeah, to keep this at a reasonable right. time. And today. these are things that we see time and again and hear about time and again. So think that these are probably of primary importance to our listeners today. Yep. So what's number one? Remember, SOL listeners, the views and opinions expressed on this show are meant for entertainment purposes only and are not to be construed as legal advice. There is no way, in any way, we are creating an attorney-client privilege. So I just called up the insurance company after I got into my car accident and I gave the insurance company a statement about what's what happened and what was going on. Oh, it sounds like a problem. Mm, that sounds is like a big problem. That is a big problem. Um, I'm not sure why you would do something like that because what you're essentially doing is giving them not just a statement, but one that they're recording. So they're going to have that later in the event something comes up that they may be able to use to their advantage. So let's uh, give an example. Let's say that you. Tell the insurance company that you were at the time changing the radio station. While eating a donut. While eating a donut. Um, and applying lipstick. Yeah. And these things may come out literally kind of unbeknownst to you. You may just be telling the story. It kind of slides in there. And next thing you know, uh, you've got a statement against your interest. So typically under the evidentiary rules, there's something called hearsay. And that word gets thrown around a lot. Hearsay. Well, it's got to be hearsay. Well, hearsay is an out-of-court statement that's asserted in court for the truth of the matter. And when you have hearsay, the idea is let's keep that kind of stuff out of the courtroom. That's not a fact that should come into evidence because there's no way to guarantee that fact it's, fact is accurate uh, without certain protocol, like maybe it's under oath. It's certainly not an under oath statement that you're giving to the insurance company. So, of course, what would you say? Well, that's not admissible, even if I give them a recorded statement. That's right. But that's not true. It is admissible if it's against your interest. If you're making an admission to something, then that is an exception to the hearsay rule. Ding, ding, ding. So now the insurance company is really happy that you went on a tangent about um, 
not liking a particular song that was on the radio and changing it to something else right before having this accident or some potential alleged uh, liability dispute regarding who's supposed to be in the intersection, whether it be a red light issue or whatever it is. And, and maybe not even full liability, but contributory as well, right? Sure. So you can just saying that. you're a portion at fault because maybe you weren't paying as much of attention as you should have been. But even, even talking about the hearsay nature of a statement like that, a super majority of these cases settle prior to litigation. So there's, you know, they can depose you. If you're in litigation, they can depose you and get that same information out of you down the road. They will. But if you're trying, and yeah. they will, but if yeah. you're trying to settle this matter, you've already told the insurance company who doesn't have the ability to depose you during the settlement phase, right? Pre-litigation, right. you've already given them that ammunition versus on the front end, just don't tell them anything. Yeah, you you no might need to, to call your insurance company and say, I was in an accident. You probably are required you to are. do that, yeah. but you don't have to give them a full narrative of everything that happened. You don't have to answer every question they have. You call them, I was in an accident on my way to the hospital. Yeah, you always have a duty to uh, comply to the terms of your insurance contract because it is just a contract. So whatever the terms are and your obligations, you need to fulfill. On the other hand, giving this information to the at-fault party's insurance company is extremely dangerous Yep, because you might slip, say something you don't mean, and now you've got an evidentiary problem because that's probably going to be admissible if it was against your interest down the road. Well, if I, if I remember a story... Um, um that Shake and Bake shared with us a while ago. It was oh, the how phone, you doing? a phone call <laughs> yeah. where they called they called the injured party, the insurance company did, and said, How you doing today? And they said, I'm, you know, I'm doing fine. I'm okay. You know, just how you typically answer the phone. Yeah, yeah I'm okay. You know, you're not gonna sit there and share every ailment right. you have when you answer the phone. But the they normal use that way that we talk against them. All right, we all down the talk road. that way. We say, Oh, I'm all right, you know, I'm doing okay, whatever. And once you hire an attorney, you put them on notice that they're no longer allowed to contact the injured party anymore, right? They have right. to call your attorney so they can't call you out of the blue and get that. How you doing? You know what they, you know what I say? Me? If they call me and they want a recorded statement and they say, how you doing? This is what I say. When you're going through hell, keep going. And then I hang up the phone. That's it. So smart. You know, DeWine gave me that. Ultimately say nothing is generally the least probability of you having problems going down the road in your injury case. So what's uh, the second thing that an individual can do to potentially jeopardize their case without an attorney? Well, I'm not going to want to pay all the attorney's fees. So I'll just call the insurance company and negotiate a settlement with them myself. Oh, literally just blew up your case. That was really a bad idea. So let me ask you this, Kelsey. Do you think it's a good idea if I go in to buy a new car I do no research. I have no idea what the value of that car really is. And then I walk in, I talk to the salesman and I say, I want to buy that car. And they give me a figure and I start negotiating. What's the problem with that scenario? You don't know the value of what that car actually is to know if you're getting a good deal or not. That's right. So there's no gauge of what's the threshold, what's the high end, what's the low end, what's fair. For that particular product. Well, injury cases tend to be very similar. There is a value to your case comprised of the economic value and the non-economic value, the pain and suffering. There is no book for the pain and suffering. You can't look it up. Um, in terms of the economic value, yes, you can put a number on that. However, there are these little things that affect that number like, well, if it's a retail number, my bills are 100000 
is that the number I use or do I use the number that was actually paid if I had health insurance? These are some of the nuances of, of you know, doing injury work and knowing how to evaluate properly a claim and what is the total value of the claim. So you're going in blindly. You're negotiating blindly with no concept of what they should pay you. Now, do you think, Iron Man, they might take advantage of that? Uh, uh, yes, <laughs> definitely. I think that's a rhetorical question. But Maybe. I, I think, look, valuing a personal injury case is an art form. Okay. This is not objective. Property damage, it's objective. You crash your car, it's totaled. You can go to four or five places online and get an exact idea of the value of that vehicle. You can't do that for a personal injury. No. You cannot do that. And so I think you have to just, you have to look at it and say, how much experience do you have as a layperson of getting injured and valuing, valuing those injuries? And you don't, you don't have any, no. unless you've been in 22, 30, 40, 50, hundred accidents. You have no idea how to value that personal injury. And they actually have separate departments within insurance companies with different adjusters, adjusters that are, their job is to resolve cases for people who are not represented by attorneys. And then there's a separate department that has adjusters that are involved to negotiate with attorneys. There's a reason for that. It's not because they just wanted to have two departments. One department knows that they can take advantage of your ignorance. And that is the goal. Pay as quickly as possible to get the case settled for as little as possible. And you on the other end of the line, it's not a lack of intelligence. It's a lack of experience. You don't know an attorney that's, that's worked in the injury world for 16 years, such as myself. I've resolved a lot of cases. I've tried cases. I know the value of cases and I can tell a client with certainty this is reasonable versus this is completely unreasonable. So because of that, you doing it on your own is literally flying blind and they're going to do everything they can to exploit that lack of, of knowledge. And, and let's, um, let's turn the clock back a moment to number one, which was to give a statement. As you're negotiating with this insurance company, they've already made you aware they're recording your phone call. Yeah. You will have now made plenty of statements in, in the process of negotiating with them about your health, yep. about the accident, about how it's affected you. All that stuff's now of record. And do you even remember what you said? Yeah. And yeah, they're going to so. use everything they can against you out of that, those statements as well. And, and there may be a value uh, in a small accident with very, very minor injuries, you know, minor injuries is a term thrown around for people that aren't injured. Uh, if you're injured, typically no injury is necessarily minor in nature, but they'll tell you it's minor injuries and they'll make sure that you feel really good about all this money they're giving you when really you may be selling yourself short by thousands of dollars. You That's just right. don't know. So keep that in mind. All right. Uh, let's move on to number three. The insurance company called and offered me a check for like $1,000, which seems like a lot of money. So I'm just going to go ahead and cash that. And then if I have any other future expenses or doctor's bills, I'll just let the insurance company know and they'll give me more money later. Mm, this is a common tactic that is used at times. Um, there are a few companies in particular that I won't name any names. Uh, some of the larger companies that you see advertise, they will, and have a habit of doing this, they'll send a check to your house for a certain sum of money. And many clients get it and think, well, this is nice. This must be to help with my medical bills. 
and they run off and they cash the check. Well, by doing so, they've ruined their opportunity to negotiate a fair claim with the insurance company because that check actually is consideration for the injury aspect of the accident. So now you're stuck. You've basically thrown away your personal injury case because they've given you money. You've accepted it. You put it in your bank. And if they come back and you say, well, I want to get some more money because I still have to treat, they're going to say, you already settled your case. We sent you a check and you, you, you cashed it. So that's a big problem. That's a big no-no. I, I mean, I've got a real life example that happened uh, well, probably about two years ago now, but had a had a consultation with a client. I remember this. Yeah. And we sat down, went through all the records, came back to the office, started pouring through the paperwork and saw a copy of a check and a release statement. Yep. And called the client back and said, I'm trying to understand what this is. And essentially, the client had released all of their claims for this very small payment and did not understand what they were doing. Yeah. Um, were entitled to many, many thousands more than the money that they received for the claim. And obviously no attempt to exploit their ignorance by the insurance company there. I put that check into the bank, cash it, feel good about the fact that I got some money to pay my bills. And then I find out case closed, which is, is really terrible. And like I said, there's no justification for doing this other than maybe we can catch somebody in a bad spot and get them to cash the check which then of course means their case is over and the insurance company can wipe their hands clean of dealing with any more of their injuries and or treatment. So watch out if you get anything to sign from the insurance company, whether it be a check or even, you know, medical authorizations, just sign this so we can figure out what medical bills and medical records we're going to need to evaluate the case. The problem is that's an open-ended release. It's never limited to a certain period of time. So they can look back as far as they want into your medical history. Well, if they do that, now they might find a pre-existing condition or perhaps 10 years ago, you injured your back in some way, and that's going to be used against you. I can guarantee they're going to use that information to try to pay you less money and attribute that injury to the injuries that you have now, which is going to ultimately end in less compensation using this whole concept of your pre-existing injury is the problem. So again, just if you get anything, it's much better to consult a lawyer as quickly as possible and let them look at it before you sign something, cash a check, anything along those lines. All right, moving on. I really hate going to the doctor, so I'm just going to do all the treatment for my injuries myself at home based on YouTube videos I can find online. So you think you can just watch a surgery on YouTube and kind of self. Yeah. Or physical therapy okay. exercises. Yeah. Mm. I think it's a good idea. I mean, we're all YouTube certified in some way, shape or form, but I don't believe anybody could be YouTube certified to be a medical doctor. Uh, so yeah. Why is this a problem? Iron man. Why is this bad? Well, your, your claim, the foundation of your claim is really what, what your injuries are and how are they identifiable. And typically you're going to want a medical provider, whether that be urgent care and ER, your primary care provider, whatever that may be in your particular instance, you're going to want a diagnosis from them. Uh, and you're going to want to know exactly what the injuries you sustained from that accident are. You, you know, no insurance carrier is going to look at your self-diagnosis in any serious light. Not a good idea. No, no. I mean, it's, 
there is a pattern that you should follow, a course of treatment that you should follow. Again, this is why having a lawyer involved in your case, it is certainly not our position here, nor do we have any relationships with doctors to tell you who to treat with. Who you treat with is certainly your preference, and we want nothing to do with that because it it looks as if we're influencing your treatment in some way as your attorney. Bad idea. We don't want to send that message to the insurance company that we're telling you to go to the doctor. Now, there are a lot of attorneys out there that have these relationships with chiropractors and other doctors, and I do believe they do just that. They send them there. Uh, to try to amp up the economic damages so the bills look higher. We're very much against that here. But we can direct you in a way of treating so that the insurance company reviews your treatment and does not have this argument that you were either treating on your own or you weren't following protocol as to when to see a specialist or how to see a specialist, going to your primary care doctor to get a referral, as an example. But there is a proper way to treat your injuries. And then there's a improper way in light of what the insurance company wants to see. I mean, this is out, this is inside the realm of a personal injury case. How you treat outside of that is certainly up to you. But if you want the insurance companies to give you full credit for your treatment, there's a way to do that. And if you don't know how to do it, or you decide to go on the, your own tangent and treat the way you want to treat, there's a good chance the insurance companies are going to say, we're not covering that. That's not treatment that was reasonable and necessary. And that's the standard. So there's ways that the attorney can ensure you that you're treating in a method that the insurance company will look at and say, okay, that was reasonable and necessary. Therefore, we have to provide compensation. So yeah, it's another one that we see uh, sometimes when people get an attorney, maybe a year in, it's very difficult to clean that up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are sometimes the worst cases to take. Yeah. 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 So, all right. I think we've got one more. Well, speaking of reasonable and necessary, I like to document everything that I think and everything that I do on social media. We know know that about you. Got to have the Facebook like. Yeah. All right. Good call on that one. Need the validation of everyone that I went to middle school with. So I'm just going to post a bunch of pictures of my accident, talk about my treatments, how I'm feeling every day, and just constantly give all my Facebook friends updates do on you, what's going on. Do you also post all the photos of you uh, parasailing? Yes. And base jumping? All, I think all that's all a good above. idea to do those. What the hell? All right. This is probably one of the most devastating case moves that at least in our time, I'm sure that the attorneys I clerked for back in the day didn't have to worry about this, but this is something that has got to the point where we actually have our clients sign a social media warning that we have put together in writing saying you, you've had this conversation with a lawyer here, that this is a really bad idea. Being on social media is a a crazy news flash for everybody here. Opposing counsel also has social media. So they're able to many times see your post and it doesn't have to be your post. You may say, I've got everything locked down. It's all good. I've got it locked down. But what about when you're out with your friends and they don't have theirs locked down and you're in their photographs parasailing after a back injury? You know, these are things that absolutely do come up. And I mean, I'll say that even our office uses social media sometimes to 
look into the at-fault party. If we are curious as to who is involved, what are they involved with? What kind of person are they? Um, so it's really dangerous to actively participate in social media if you have any legal issue going on, especially an injury case, because Iron Man will tell you, it's almost like becoming a regular thing. Every case, some social media post pops up and is used to devalue your claim by either saying, if you're physically hurt, how could you be doing this? Or if you put in your medical records, you were still having issues. And the next day you post something that's physical in nature and that's taken out of context. But nonetheless, it looks bad. It just looks like what you're telling your doctors is different than how you're really feeling, which of course wouldn't look good in front of a jury either. So this is a big issue. Yeah. It's just, just more ammo that the uh, either insurance company or their counsel, if it does go into litigation can use against you and trying to get your, your claim negotiated. So definitely stay away from, you know, posting pictures and whatnot on social media, but we, we just try to tell you to stay away from social media in general. Yeah, if you can just get off of it for the time in which your case runs, I mean, it just alleviates what is likely to be a guaranteed issue um, sometime down the road. Even if you're trying to post conservatively, I mean, insurance companies seem to give people a hard time about going on vacation when they don't feel good. I mean, how many times does that come up in a case? Well, they were on vacation. Right. I guess if you're hurt, you're required to you're bound to your sit recliner. home in your recliner, do nothing, and you know. I don't, I don't get that, but that is it's an the argument, argument that comes up yeah. all the time. Yeah, it's definitely the argument. Well, I, I know we've covered, you know, things that you can do before you hire the attorney, mm. but, mm. um, shake and bake, what would be your number one, um, way to blow up your personal injury case for, for a client? Um, for me, it would be, I'm going to advise you to do this. You take that and you do the exact opposite case blows up. Um, and say it jokingly, and I will say most clients are pretty good at following advice and it would make sense. It's, I don't go to my doctor for an opinion and then do something different. Um, so most clients do that, but when you do veer off the path, there's a good chance that you're going to put some serious holes in the case or drop some landmines that are going to cause problems down the road. And that comes with a lot of different areas, but especially in the treating aspect, uh, failing to continue to follow your doctor's orders. You do 10 of the physical therapy sessions, but the doctor said to do 20. And as the, your lawyer, I'm telling you, make sure you complete your treatment and you don't complete it. Now it just doesn't look like it was either necessary to complete it. Or if you have a problem a month later, the argument will certainly be, had you completed your treatment, you wouldn't have had this reoccurrence. But since you didn't, we're not going to cover this. So right. That can be a big issue. I would agree. Well, that should be helpful. A lot of ways for insurance companies to get out of paying you. Well, their entire existence revolves around how can we pay as little as possible? I mean, they are a business and that's hard for a lot of clients to digest because of the terrible situations that they're in and they want to feel like the other side should care, but it's hard to make a business show emotion or care. And just remember, it's dollars and cents for them. That's another great reason to have a lawyer because the lawyer actually has compassion or should and should be doing things to assist you in your recovery, but then also go against this faceless 
uh, emotionless entity to try to get them to pay what is fair to you. And I can assure you they're not going to do it voluntarily. So, yeah. All right. Well, that was a helpful episode, I hope, for all out there about what you can do to blow up your case. You don't want to hear that in any way when you're going through the process of your personal injury action. But let's talk briefly about the podcast. Uh, Again, thank you to everybody out there that has downloaded our episodes, continues to listen, continues to support what we're doing. We really enjoy it. It's a nice break from the day-to-day, but also hope that it's something that helps people um, better understand the law in some ways, but then also are entertained in some ways. And we mix the politics in, which we try to have fun with too. So if you have any suggestions for when we move over to the new place, please let us know. Reach out, uh, Facebook, social media, unless you're in a personal injury case, obviously shouldn't be on social media. Reach out, let us know uh, topics you might want covered, things that might be of interest to you. And I will just say as uh, the one who kind of fell into the podcast idea and we started with a little desk over in the corner, it was uh, myself and then Matt I think you came on board pretty much right away. If I recall, I know our first episode was me and Aaron by ourselves, Aaron Ryan, but this was a very therapeutic thing for me personally, especially going through the COVID crisis when there was very little human interaction, which as a lawyer, I talk too much. I know that, but it was difficult to not have other individuals around to share ideas and discuss complicated things, especially during that period of time in our country. So I'd personally like to thank all the listeners for giving us a chance and continuing to support us. We're excited about the new layout. Uh, We're excited to have a lot of guests on. I certainly think our new studio is going to be much more accommodating for guests to come onto the show which I think will add a fun element. But yeah, thanks to everybody out there for that. I'll let everybody else say their piece as well, but that's mine. Just want to remind everybody, uh, while we certainly uh, appreciate your support, you can find us on any of the major uh, podcast platforms and on YouTube. Just look up the SOL Legal Podcast. Hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, and uh, we'll see you at Studio 89. Yeah. Sure it's not 86? 88. What about 88? No? Kelsey, do you have any final thoughts from the 107 studio you'd like to share? Just to add on what you were saying, the job that I had when you guys found me off the streets, I wasn't really able to talk talk about these topics a lot. I had to play things more middle of the road due to my nature of my job then. So it was a much needed outlet for me at the time as well. And a lot of good things have happened in the year and a half since I started doing this podcast with you guys. Yeah, crazy. And you were a podcaster with us and now you're an office manager. So well, it has been well worth it and a lot of fun. And I appreciate everybody listening and their support. Special shout out to our friend Bruce, who Bruce, I don't think is in Texas anymore. Bruce. I think yeah. he went to Kansas or Colorado. We'll have to check in with him, but make sure he gives us a call over at the new place too. Yeah. And if you want to listen to some conspiracy theories of Kelsey has her own side podcast, which is called Genuine Questions. Genuine Questions. Talk about some things going on in the news that don't necessarily have a legal angle for us to talk about here, but got to get it off my chest. Yeah. 
Yeah, we appreciate that she has the other one because that keeps some of the conspiracy theories from bleeding into the SOL podcast. Prevents us from talking about Bill Gates too much on this show. Right. That's it. That's it. All right. Well, this is the Shake and Bake, the Iron Man and Special K signing off from Studio 107, the last one. Everybody have a good day out there. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to SOL. Join us next time on Facebook Live. YouTube Live, and iTunes. For additional information or questions related to your legal matter, contact the Baker Law Group at 614-228-1882. That's 614-228-1882. Be safe, know your rights, and follow the law. This podcast is adjourned.